Heidi ho, good neighbors. Welcome to Kafaro Cast. We've got Frank the Tank and I on the mic, and our good friend Nathan French, guide and outfitter, one with the ladies. Nate, thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me, boys. By the way, you only have one lady. <laughs> Before I get you in trouble. <laughs> Only yeah. one in Canada, but the U.S. is a whole different story. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> yeah, so thanks for coming on, Nate. Uh, um, I I haven't known Nate too long. I guess a couple, two, three years. Met, I met you at the Sheep Show. I think you've known Aaron for quite some time. But um, yeah, for those of us, for those of you that don't know, Nathan is a uh, what do they call you? A Brit? Your British British mate? Yeah. The British. He's British. With with the last name French, so that's kind of uh, <laughs> an interesting one. But you do have good teeth, which is not yeah, characteristic yeah. of the British, from what I understand. Yeah, they, have, they have a stereotype, but, you know, the British have bad teeth. Is so. that, awesome is that kind of, kind of racist? <laughs> <laughs> racist it's, not racist. <laughs> it's not racist. It's <laughs> stereotyping. I don't think that's the same thing. <laughs> and I don't drink tea. Well, that's like saying that everybody from Pueblo is a criminal. That's, that's that's not a lie. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit! So, uh, Nathan, what uh, tell tell us about yourself? Obviously, we know, but tell the listeners you uh, you've guided for quite a while, and you're kind of doing your own thing, you know. Now, on that note, people, if you're listening in and you want to go on an awesome goat hunt, Nate, you got a couple openings left still, don't you? Yeah, I just sold one, and I got one more to go. But um, yeah, a little bit about me. I've been uh. I originally moved from the motherland, England, about 15 years ago as a young teen. Do it for the queen. And, got, <laughs> <laughs> and got into hunting pretty dang quickly. Um, and then I began the old uh, guiding and all that when I was about 17. And I've been doing it ever since. Um, yeah, I've been chasing those sheep mainly. I've done everything. But uh, usually, you know, I'd always start my season um, up in the North Territories in July. And sometimes used to always do the dull sheep, but in the last probably five years, I've been kind of extending myself and doing more stone, bighorns, and deserts down in Mexico. But um, yeah, this year, this is a kind of an interesting one for me. I, I kind of stepped out of the bracket of working for someone and became my own boss. And, uh, you know, it's really nice to have a lot of guys in the industry who, who like you and trust you and I just made a lot of good connections that I've been able to kind of freelance myself out, you know, and I get a lot of guys asking, Hey, can I come hunt with you? And so I've kind of made it that I've designed hunts for those guys who want to come hunting and say one guy wants a goat hunt or I've got one for you. So let's go do it kind of thing. So did you, when you moved here or growing up, I guess in England, were you, were you a hunter or how, what, what made you get into hunting and nope. guiding? I knew nothing about hunting. I was uh, kind of just a little crappy kid who played tennis. <laughs> you then, were, uh, you were was, actually an unbelievable tennis player, weren't you? Yeah, yeah, that was okay. I could hit the ball over the net. <laughs> if coach would have yeah, punched you, if coach, <laughs> don't don't fake the funk, man. How good were you? Lay it up. I mean, it's not like you know if you're talking about you or you know, golden glove boxer, it is tennis, but you were good at it. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, my, uh, what I tell guys is a joke. My claim to fame is I used to practice with a guy who went pro. So, uh, and he won uh, Wimbledon, which is kind of a big tournament. 
I remember yeah, that on I, HBO. I, <laughs> <what>? <laughs> they had Wimbledon on HBO. The was, Wimbledon Cup. Is Nathan there? I didn't see him there, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. That was kind of the direction I was going, but um, I don't know. Like any sport, it costs a lot and takes a lot of your energy, and I had to be traveling. You know, if I wanted to keep my ranking up, I'd have to be traveling to Vancouver and Toronto and the States to even have a have a chance. And so I just uh, kind of made it a hobby, and uh, yeah, kind of just hunting fell into my lap, kind of thing, and just pursued that. Well, so why did you move to why did you move to British Columbia? Was it like oh, a family man, move? You know how many times I get that question asked way too many times. I don't know how to answer. I moved with my family. Um, they'd been here several times on visits and whatnot and always loved it and you know 65 million people in england that's you know you could fit 40 times in canada it's kind of a you know cramped little space so you know they figured it'd be a good place to bring i've got two older brothers so bring the whole family over and start a new kind of life hmm. yeah it's interesting um so so how so did you getting into the guiding thing did you just go on a hunt or did you have some friends that hunted and then you you decided you just liked it and you wanted to, to become a guide or what, how did that transpire yeah so it kind of worked out possibly my parents bought a house right opposite a taxidermist and just as a young kid i you know got to know him and kind of got into that sort of um you know i enjoyed the taxidermy i thought it was really creative really cool and he was an avid out outdoorsman and hunter he's sheep killer goat killer you know he did it all and he actually used to personally guide in the yukon years ago and funny enough when i he always said to me you know like i see how much you love it you should apply and see if you can get an apprentice job and so i did i, I sent out about 19 resumes to all the yukon outfitters and uh got a bunch of job offers and then funny enough picked the picked the uh, outfit that he used to work for so it kind of worked out a little funny that way and I did one season there and then I kind of moved on and started guiding in other outfits in Yukon and did that for three years and then got kind of sick of the horse routine and so I went to the Northwest Territories and became a backpack guide and that's all I've been doing ever since for the last seven years. So do you get a do you get a lot of time to hunt for yourself or is it just a, a crap ton of guiding? No. Yeah, that's the crappy thing is um, I've killed, you know, I've killed a really nice stone sheep, a goat, caribou, moose, but it doesn't get, you know, I kind of always fill my season up jam-packed that it doesn't give me that sort of free time to do that, which is crappy, but at the same time, I do really love guiding and it's kind of, you're on the kill with time, right? So right. it's pretty fun. And you got a little bit of predator hunting in this year because, uh, he, he shot that one coyote and I was like, you know what you should do? It would be funny if you, if you photoshopped it like 50 of the same coyote on the, on the same photo and then we'll post it on Instagram and say you had a pretty good morning of, of hunting. Oh yeah. Re reading through those comments when you posted that, man. Oh, it always gets me. So yeah, some people didn't find the humor in it and they're like, you're a sick bastard. Why would you kill so many fucking coyotes? <laughs> like, good Lord, dude, it's clearly photoshopped, but anyway yeah, of course hashtag conservation <laughs> yeah i think that was the i think that was the post hashtag conservation <laughs> that seems to be the the popular word nowadays or whatever so what do you, what do you do in the off season uh when you're not guiding um i don't well in the last couple of years i don't know if i really truly have an off season 
how it kind of works is um, my main season, I call it, is um, July to about uh, middle of November. And basically that's chasing sheep and doing moose hunts too and all the in-between goats. And then uh, usually December is kind of downtime. And then I've kind of marketed myself to do those deserts in Mexico. So, you know, I've, I'm actually uh, going down this year with Clay Lancaster, doing a couple down there with him through January, February. And then I try and fill up my spring with bear guiding. I haven't done bears in the last two seasons, just with doing other stuff in the spring. I bought a house this year and that takes up time and renovations, but yeah, I, I try and keep myself busy. Um, I, I would say probably eight, nine months I'm guiding and three of them are kicking around, organizing paperwork, contracts, show season. So. Yeah, you definitely love that show season. Um, yeah. we, <laughs> we, <laughs> Nathan's a pretty good, uh, a pretty good salesman for us in the, in the booth at the sheep show. But, um, after hours he was double fist in beers at the, uh, at the <laughs> bank, we get a little rowdy. <laughs> <laughs> I think he was going, ole, 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 ole. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> My good Lord. <laughs> give this, give this man some water. Yeah. We even got, uh, we even got Aaron to go out to the banquet one night. Um, that was pretty funny. <laughs> Yeah, that's all you got. <laughs> just, a, just a yeah. Hold so, on. Uh, yeah, no, I'm I'm getting overloaded with messages about heavy front of center. Good God. Yeah. So you uh, you actually got a you went on a, on vacation with your wife right to Hawaii and you borrowed a bow and ended up killing a freaking sweet axis oh, deer, man. didn't you? Well, that's a pretty pretty funny story. So. Yeah, we went on a vacation there, and I have a buddy. I've never met him, but you know how social media is. I've been in contact with a couple friends who live in Hawaii, and so I met them for the first time when I arrived there. And they're like, man, I've got to take you hunting. I'm like, well, sure, okay. I wouldn't say no. And so uh, I was in a spot that, you know, had to be bow hunting only, and I was like, well, I didn't bring a bow. And he's like, don't worry, I've got this old one. So I went to his house one afternoon just to, you know, sight it in. And I'm a 31-inch drawer, and uh, he gave me this boat. It's probably about 28. And I'm like, oh, fun. So, uh, we, you know, we played around with it for about half an hour, and I figured out the pins and how it was going to work for me. And then the next morning, he took me out. And I don't know if you guys have ever hunted Axis deer, but holy crap, are they ever fun. Um, we uh, got into about 100 different deer there, and chasing a bunch of bucks and I had a couple smaller ones right in at 15 yards that I could have swacked but I decided not to and we get we got in on this uh one one buck and we chased him around and it's kind of open uh cane sugar fields and so it's uh you know kind of a lot to hide in but also you know you got to be careful because they'll they're real spooky they get hunted about 365 so there's never an off season with hunters chasing them but uh, there was this big buck and he was rubbing rubbing up on the trees and I snuck into about 20 yards and got a shot off. So that was actually my first bow kill for myself. So I've guided a lot of sheep hunters with bows, but for myself personally, that was my first bloodshed. I popped the cherry with my uh, <laughs> with arrow. You, oh, I don't think you're supposed to do that to, to the animals after, but... <laughs> <laughs> uh, shit. What, what's is there is there a bunch of snakes in the sugarcane field 
Because remember the other day, I, I was like, higher than a king snake in a sugar cane field. And I was like, what the fuck does that even mean? I've heard it before. Did you have no, king I, snakes I, I, biting at your twig and berries? <laughs> By the way, no, no. your twig and berries are pretty high because uh, you're, what, 6'4"? Yeah, that's another funny story. I remember when I first met Frank, that was the first thing you said to him. He's like, this guy, he has the longest legs and the shortest back. Yeah, you I have a 17-inch torso. So the the 26-inch frame I sent you just as a guess, not really paying attention, was like three inches over your head. And I'm like, no way, you're wearing it too high. And then you put it on. I'm like, no, you're not wearing it too high. Holy shit. And, uh, yeah, so you have, what, a 36, 37-inch inseam? I think I'm 36, yeah. Which makes yeah, us happy that know. we're makes us happy I, that we're not hunting with look, you. I don't look that awkward. I look like a proportional person, but obviously I got a. <laughs> we'll, I just got high hips. So we'll yeah. be the judge of that, Nathan. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, that, that makes us happy that we're not going hunting with you this year, so we don't have to keep up with you because you probably hike like a f- crazy <laughs> Dutch bastard. <laughs> I don't know. You guys got the advantage living in Colorado of all that elevation gain you get to practice with. I'm just a flatlander down at a thousand feet. Uh, is that pretty close to the coast there where you're at? That's where uh, that's where Ryan Ryan's from, right? Ryan the guide. That yeah, 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 yeah. Lander. I think so. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, I'm about five hours from the ocean. I'm kind of central. I gotcha. So, uh, so what? Talk. Tell us about this uh, this goat hunt that you got you got going on because you you were um, telling us about it. We couldn't make it happen. We were we were trying to make it happen here through Kafara, but we couldn't. But you were saying this is going to be a pretty extreme uh, backpack goat hunt where it's going to take a motivated guy. But there's a lot of goats back there. Yeah. So uh, I was in this this area last year. It's kind of a hidden little gem. I'm not going to say too much just in case you know some decent guys are listening. <laughs> um, yeah, it's an unreal little spot. It's uh, some of the coolest country I've been in in a few years, for sure. Um, we were in there 10 days last year, and I lost count of 50 goats. I just stopped counting. They were, they were just crawling all over the mountains. Um, it is a pretty uh, big mountainous area. Um, I think we did about uh, Google Earth miles. I mapped it out. It was about 107 kilometers of uh, up and down, and we did about 32,000 elevation gain. Um, so it's definitely, I want to say to a guy who's motivated in that way that can get after it. But this, this year, how I'm selling it is, uh, I'm going to, you know, sell it as the goat hunt, but there is a small population of stone sheep in the area. And so I've kind of made a sweet little deal that the guy can have a stone sheep pocket, uh, tag in his pocket. And, you know, if the right opportunity arises and we find a legal ram, then he can pop it for, for a premium for a kill fee. But it's, you know, if you look at what stone sheep are doing these days, it's right now like a forty-seven to 50,000 just to go hunt them. So it's kind of a pretty dang good, ridiculous good deal there. But um, I've sold one of them and I, I do have one more for uh, the end of August into September. But I'm kind of picky who who's going to come on it too. So Have you had a lot of guys interested and you just kind of been kind of filtering through or how's that work for you? Yeah, it's it's a lot of guys, you know, when you when you post something on Instagram, you get an influx of people just, oh, yeah, I want it. And then they, some people see the price and they just go, go they ghost you, right? They just go quiet. And then <laughs> some guys are like, oh, it was funny. I think I had this 12-year-old. I don't know. I kind of tried to look at his profile, but didn't have many, too many pictures. But 
He's like, oh, I don't. You're looking at a twelve year old. We have to cut this podcast short, <laughs> sir. <It's> awkward. <laughs> but yeah, um, I don't know. Just guys are like, oh, I don't think it's going to work on the schedule. But and then I do have some of the guys. You're like, oh, I wish you could make it, and it's a ridiculous good deal. But it's just the way it is sometimes selling hunts yeah i'm not i'm not in a too too big of a panic if it it sells awesome if it doesn't it just gives me more time to go hunt stone sheep for myself which you know isn't a bad thing because i haven't really gave myself much time in the last few years to go do my own hunting so you got a pretty nice um stone sheep on the wall right or you just got it back from the taxidermist i saw you posted that on um on instagram the other day yeah, um, I killed that one back in 2013. I, it's just the first time I put it in my new house. But um, yeah, I was uh, kind of screwed myself up there. It was a Boone and Crockett stone sheep, my first ram. So um, I don't know. I got pretty hard to beat that one. If I go hunt them again, I'm going to have to be pretty picky. <laughs> okay. Yeah. No so in, in BC, can you hunt them every year or what, how does that work as a resident? Yeah. Yeah, it's an over-the-counter tag for 60 bucks, and uh, you can hunt any sheep. Uh, you can only kill one, so I can go, if I want, and go hunt for stones. And if I don't kill one, I can go down and hunt for bighorns, and basically it's one tag fits all. Um, so, yeah, just one sheep a year for 60 bucks. <laughs> 60 Pretty. bucks, or you can just pay $50,000 to your <laughs> to a guy to go kill one. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. I'll- I wonder, yeah, it's did, pretty uh, unreal. Are people allowed to move there and just become a resident and hunt them, or do you have to have been there for a certain amount of time or something like that? How does that work? Uh, if you're already a Canadian resident, I think all it is is six months. So say you're from Alberta and you want to move to BC, you have to time it correctly that you get a BC postal code, and then uh, you have to be in the province six months of the year, I believe is the legal definition. Um, but... You know, I won't say names, but I, I know there are some guys who have a BC hunting license and have a Alberta hunt license. I don't know how they play that game, but some of them do. But. There, I was going to say, there's something, I don't know exactly how it works, but it's not like the United States where you can go hunt whatever state. It's different. Um, it's not, you can't just hunt across um Canada, Canada and the different provinces and I don't know exactly how it, I mean you can I, I don't know how it works but it's not as when I when I it was explained to me it's not the same way as you would think it would be coming from the United States um and I, I don't know exa- exactly how it works but I know like with we can go to whatever we go to Florida one day and you know Minnesota the next and just pay for the out-of-state fee I think it's a little bit different up there yeah so as a B, me as a BC resident I solely can really only hunt BC um, I can, what it's called is hunter host. So for certain species, I can be hunter hosted in Alberta and Saskatchewan, they said deer or whatnot. Um, but the species like, uh, sheep and all those, um, or grizzly walkers are best shut down now, but for sheep, especially it, it's province only. I can't go hunt Alberta sheep and Albertans can't come hunt DC sheep. And so that's, that's where guide outfitting kind of exists, right? Even for the non-residents of Canada and beyond america oh i was just gonna say the uh for i mean for in general or whatever like for i mean i guess for the most part you had um well you were working with with dustin but for the most part like now though you can you can guide anywhere in canada though can't you mm-hmm. yeah all it takes is the outfit or sign off on a uh 
license for me. And yeah, I'm good to go. Yeah, because like down here, we really can't technically, well, can't say can't. Guiding in the Northwest Territories, for example, is not impossible, but pretty freaking close for a guy from the U.S. where you can do the Yukon, NWT, and anywhere else. Um, Yeah. And then obviously, it's not that difficult for you to come down here and guide either, is it? I've never tried it. That's one place I haven't guided yet is the States. Um, the, the stuff I do in Mexico, I'm not solely a guide. I, I'm sure you know how that works. It's kind of your company company to hunt. I'm just there uh, you know, to make sure it goes well. Um, but yeah, um, the States, I know you guys, yeah, I, I don't know how that works. I'm sure me being a Canadian, I would have to get some sort of work visa. But other than other than that, I'm sure it's pretty straightforward. I wouldn't really consider you to be a Canadian, though, mate. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, no, still got the accent, apparently. But, so, uh, uh, so what are some of the? You're working on some things out other than um, than hunting, right? Because you you've been talking to me about um, uh, kind of a dog harness or a dog uh, pack that you've been working on. Talk a little yeah, bit about that. So, uh, yeah, it's not moving fast, <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I have a little pup. Um, I've used dogs for the last few years uh, um, backpacking for sheep and uh, so I, I got a dog in the, the winter and I was like well I got to design him a pack so uh, actually your buddy there David I've been talking with him and uh, we kind of did a prototype I got from him and uh, I ran it I ran it and kind of went over it and made some changes and he's in the process right now of actually building a, a new one which should should be the last one let's hope um, and I'll use that this season but uh yeah it's just it's kind of a simple design it just goes over the back it has two belly straps and a chest strap and uh you know once once a dog's full, fully grown depending on the size of the dog um they can pack a fair amount i'll put about 30 pounds on them going in in good terrain and then uh sometimes when a sheep's down we'll, we'll load them up we can put 45 50 to you know a short amount of time on them when did you decide to start when did you decide to start using dogs instead of like horses or i guess it's probably frowned upon to use um pack goats when you're hunting sheep right yeah sorry you're kind of quiet there in here but um you said the advantage of using dogs did you say yeah when did you yeah when did you start using dogs instead of horses and, and other pack animals or what made you want to do the use dogs or was it just kind of like a pet thing or what well yeah First of all, dogs don't kick here and don't run away and uh, <laughs> are low maintenance. <laughs> I had way too many blow-ups of horses. Uh, I was pretty ready to just go the backpack route. But um, I got into it just through my friends. Uh, uh, Glenda Grout is someone I work for. do one hunt or two hunts a year. She just uh, is a new outfitter that used to be Ramhead. It's now Canoe Outfitters in the Northern Territories. And then uh, Dustin also, he's used dogs uh you know, seven, eight years. So when I did a year and a half for Dustin, uh, two years for Dustin, I, I got into that and used one of his dogs. But a, a bunch of my friends who are in the industry have, uh, who are like solely into backpack hunting have, have had dogs in their past. And, you know, it's, it's a pretty, uh, rewarding thing. You know, you have your, you have your little buddy next year and he follows you. And, uh, it kind of, it kind of boosts the morale on a hunt. And, you know, if you're really burnt out after seven days and you haven't seen much and that dog comes up to the client and kind of gives them a, 
a lick on the hand or a cuddle, you know, next to the fire. Like it, it really does boost that morale. So it's just, it's just a nice add to the hunt. And, uh, you know, that's why they call a man's best friend. So. Yeah, we don't, I don't really, I don't really know of too many guys that take dogs, but I don't go on a whole lot of sheep hunts, but, um, it seems like it would be, it'd be cool. There's there's definitely a limited amount of us. Uh, there's, there's a few guys in BC who are just kind of resident hunters who I know who take their dog. Um, but for guides that I know, Dustin's definitely probably one of the bigger guys. He has two. He uses I know it takes an extra flight. helicopter flight because you got to haul them damn oh, dogs yeah. in. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it ain't cheap, especially in the territory. Um, yeah. But Can't you just long line them or whatever? Throw them on one of your dog harness packs and then good in that cargo net. <laughs> just throw them in there with the moose horns. Yeah. One of them's names. Yeah. Uh, I think they're Viking names. One's uh, one Sitco, and then the other one's like uh, Thor or something. Uh, Odin. Odin. Yeah. yeah, there you go. That's what I meant. Odin's son. The other one's yeah. Thor, and the other one's named Hulk. No, I'm just kidding. The uh, <laughs> it's like the Avengers. Uh, yeah. Dustin. I don't know which Avenger Dustin would be because he's. A little bit short. No, sure. <laughs> uh, he's a funny little guy, though. Yeah. Oh yeah. The, he uh, gets softer. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. Especially for I mean, for a hundred and forty pounds soaking wet. I don't. One of the other guys you guys were hunting with. He was a big bastard. Um, he had to have been six four, two fifty. Oh, Dan. Yeah, Dan from Australia. He's uh, Dustin's buddy. He's helping him out. Yeah. Packing and whatnot. Yeah, he is a big dude. He's from where, the Australia? <laughs> you say <laughs> what did you say? The wombat? He's from Australia. The wombat. Yeah, he's from Australia. Damn. He he's just got into it. He uh, actually, it was funny. He was he came on the first uh, hunt with me. I was in the bighorn hunt, and he had done. He'd like helped out in uh, Alaska, and then came with a client he had in Alaska on our bighorn hunt. And uh, yeah, we went for 10 days in an absolute hellhole. We had eight days of literally one hour of glassing in eight days. You know, four feet of snow and we had to pack out of there after us. We would have been probably left for dead. But Yeah, that sounds pretty brutal. So uh, so yeah. you, you being a guide, I'm sure you get this question pretty often, but um, what's the what's – the, what do you suggest be- – where do you think people lack, um, I guess, on preparation or, or training once they get up there for a goat hunt or a sheep hunt? And um, you talk a little bit about that. Yeah, um, I, f- I think no one's ever prepared. I, I think the mountain always, pre- you know, the mountain's only going to prepare you. Um, unfortunately, you know, some of the clients are flatlanders. Um, and I think, you know, you got to try and create a scenario that's kind of like the mountains so if it's doing stairs or, or you know putting a pack on your back and just trying to get that heart rate up and legs moving as best you can but um i think i think what really separates you know the guys who are successful in the sheep industry is is the you know mental toughness um i think anyway i've had guys who have been 350 pounds and killed a sheep um and i've had guys who or 180 pounds and gone home quitting and not killed a sheep. So, you know, physical is definitely a big part of it. But at the end of the day, I think your mind can really play the game on you. And if, if you come with a good, you know, attitude and know it's going to be probably one of the harder hunts you'll do, um, that, that mind of yours is going to make you succeed or fail. 
Yeah, I think we talk about mental toughness quite a bit, and um, <clears throat> I, sometimes I think it's a little bit overlooked, and it's kind of something you think of being hard to train or how do, how do you become mentally tough, but I think you, yeah. for me at least, you just kind of have to set set that goal and pretty much tell yourself that there's not going to be anything that's going to stand in your way to, to achieve it, I guess, or you know do everything you can or whatever to, to get to that point. Um, yeah, yeah. But I'm pretty, I'm, yeah. I'm, and a lot of this stuff's like a life, a lifelong goal for a lot of guys. I mean, I'm sure there's, you get a bunch of rich guys that go quite often, but I'm sure you get a, a few everyday type guys that just save their money um, for several years and they, they kind of, yeah. do you see a yeah, difference? Sure. In, do you see a difference in those type of hunters, I guess? Oh, I, you know, a hundred percent. Like I've guided some ridiculously wealthy people and it's it's actually I've tried to get out of that a bit more and the way I've kind of marketed myself is I'm actually marketing to more of a younger sort of group because you know I'm I'm getting after it you know it's going to be a brutal hunt in physical wise and you know those guys there's there's guys out there and I'm sure you guys know of them is they just want to be landed on a sheep kill the sheep and leave camp that there's no there's no, you know, 10 days in the mountains enjoying being away from your cell phone or, you know, being in a spot that you might ever only be once. Um, and those guys, like you said, who, who, you know, take 10 years to save up, like there's just a lot more appreciation for the hunt, for the area, for the animal, for, for everything great. And that that's a lot more rewarding as a guide at the end of the day than, you know, going and killing a ram and seeing, you know, seeing the guy fly out the next day yeah i can i can definitely see how that would be um i don't know i mean i've never been on any of these expensive sheep hunts but i can definitely see that that being a thing i'm sure aaron's aaron's seen a a little bit of both on his expeditions he's over here sexting that's why you're not hearing him talk very very much no i uh dude i should have never posted that stupid fuel transfer thing What's a fuel tra- what fuel transfer thing? I've got this thing where you can take like oh. a big isobutane canister and then transfer it to a smaller one so you don't have halfies. <laughs> and uh, there's I do I, I bet you 150 people have messaged me about that little thing. I bought it on Amazon. It was like eight bucks. It probably blow up right. About like about it being good or just asking questions about they it. They want one and they're like, "Where'd you find it? I got it on Amazon." You should have no, posted that shit on your post. I well, was on it. Uh, what am I supposed to do? Hashtag something I don't know the name of that doesn't have an Instagram page? Hashtag transfer thingy dingy? Fuel transfer. Yeah, no, I uh, I mean, I was only up in the territories the one year, so it's not like I'm an expert. But, I, I mean, it definitely seems um, there's um, – you can definitely – you know, you if you play tennis, you have to practice to be good. If you play whatever, if you fight, wrestle, you have got to train to be good. Hunting yeah, is one exactly. of the very, very few things that I know of that you can buy success. Um, yeah, yeah. And, you know, and that, I mean, I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with that or whatever, but it is one of the very few things you can walk into someone's house with every animal in the world and, and – um you know, if you hear the stories of them, a lot of them are going to be not quite as adventurous as maybe a guy that's, you know, shot, um, you know, maybe less animals or, or smaller animals or whatever, just for the simple fact of, you know, you can, you can buy your way into different, different areas, different land, different things like that. 
Do you remember on uh, yeah. 3,000 Miles to Graceland when he goes into that guy's shop and he's got all these mounts and he's like, are you a hunter? And the guy's like, oh, yeah. And then later on he's like, yeah, I bought all these mounts. Please don't kill me. Oh, 3,000 <laughs> miles from Graceland? Yeah. <laughs> I'm a pussy. There's like a bunch of lying African animals and he grabs – doesn't he spear him? Or, you know, he shoots, he shoots him, him with, with a reeker. Reeker, yeah. 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 Do you ever take very many trad hunters out, traditional guys? Yeah, I, I think I sent you that. I've had one, and it was oh man, it's a pretty good story. But um, yeah, I had one one guy who was coming for sheep caribou, but we started with caribou. We wanted to test him out a little bit, and we uh, found this boo up up at the head of a waterfall. So uh, we did a big old stalk on him, and then we were just cresting the hill, and we were about fifteen yards. Well, no, we probably want twenty five yards. And I said, okay, all you got to do is just sneak down this little ridge line and you're going to be 15 yards 10 yards and you know he's, he's bedded away feeding he doesn't know where the wind's perfect i got it all on video it was a shit show but um there he goes on his hands and he gets into that range and stands up the caribou's eyes go as big as a balloon and it, as it's getting up he releases and he he puts it right in the hammy and there it is just running away with a big old arrow flapping out of its hammy. And I'm just like, oh, my goodness, here we go. And so I run up to him, like, let's go. Come on, we're going to kill this. And he's like, no. And we had literally about a 15-minute argument on the side of the mountain that, no, we're not going to pursue this caribou. He's either going to lay there and die or it's the end of the hunt in his eyes. And I was like, oh, really? So you're just going to wound an animal and then decide now that you're not going to pursue it. And I'm like, Honestly, man, if you're if, if you're not going to kill this with another chance with your with your bow, I'm going to go and main it myself with my rifle because you know I'm I'm not going to have a wounded animal just you know out there. So I finally uh, you know, got him to do another stalk, and we literally no joke, Aaron and Frank. We we got into like ten yards. The boots like just looking at me like, please kill me, and hopefully no anti to listen to this, but um. He lets one go and totally misses over the back at 10 yards. And I'm like, shoot that effing caribou. And then he puts another one right in the front of his neck. And then I literally, I don't know, I've never done this before, but I grabbed him by the scruff and said, let's go. And because the caribou's running away now. And we chased, <laughs> chased it through the buck brush. And then again, we got into about 50 yards. He finally broadsided it and killed the poor thing. But, um, yeah, that's my experience with trad. trad uh, <laughs> I'm sure all of you are like, right? I, I mean, well, you know who I'm, I'm friends with the same people you are, right? Like we, we know, you know, I, yeah. I guess you could say arguably the, the best guides and outfitters in the yeah. world or largest operations. And uh, the, one of the funniest things was uh, Bart, right? I'm, I'm pretty good friends with the Lancasters. Well, I'm, I'm really good yeah. friends with Bart and Clay. And yeah. Clay is a bow hunter. Um at heart, right? Clay really likes to bow hunt, but he's also very realistic to the fact that you have killers, whether it's a spear, a bow, or a gun, and then yeah. you have the people that you have to get behind, push up the hill, and pray to God that they hit the animal, right? Where Bart is not as much of a bow hunter, and um, for this reason, like, so when we were on the the goat hunt this year, we did one the one stock where I, I missed, right. I, I, Bart and I dropped down in on this goat and I mean, and Bart's just like me way more aggressive than he probably should be. And, um, <laughs> we get down and I'm like, Bart's like, okay, 
And I look back at the camera. I'm like, he goes, how far is it? And I'm like, it's pretty fucking far, Bart. You said 40 <laughs> yards. It was like 97. Right? <laughs> but he's like, and he's, he's seen me shoot. He's heard from his brother. And I'm like, the, the, we're talking a 45 degree slope and it's 97 after the cut. Right. So it's 120 oh, or something. And I'm like, brother, I don't think I can hit it. And I was like, we got to scoot closer. Okay. So we, we get closer in, in, uh, and I've told this story many times. But anyway, I missed it three times. There was like a crazy updraft. I'm deducting yardage, just dropping yards every shot. And, uh, you know, we climb whatever. We we didn't get it. We climbed back down to the horses. And, and he said the problem with most hunters and a lot of bow hunters he's worked with is that is the hunt. They have got one climb in them, and that's it. Yeah. They can't make that climb. You know, so – and if I've – you know, with me, I'm running around like an idiot thinking, can we climb over that mountain? I just scared the deer or the goat over and <laughs> kill it on the next yeah. one. And and he, he talked about it in depth. He said a guy pays ten, twelve, fifteen thousand dollars $15,000 for a goat, you know, 20-some thousand for a sheep. And they're not helicoptered in. They ride in on horseback. And then you hike. They've got one good stock. And with a gun hunter – it's more of a done deal where with a, a stick bow guy or a compound guy, it's a lot more yeah. difficult. And so once I killed mine, uh, you know, we were separated. I was with Roger Oler. Um, yeah. And I mean, that was a hunt that most people probably shouldn't have done anyway because it was pretty dangerous in the no. cliffs. Well, yeah. then Brian killed his um, first real stock Brian had. And we're heading back down. You know, we split up all the gear. We're heading to the horses and Bart looks back because we're videoing all of it. And he said, yeah. no, by the way, looks in the camera, tell all your bow hunting friends to stay the fuck home. <laughs> <laughs> Don't get the idea I like doing this. And uh, and he was kind of half joking, half serious, because, you know, then, you know, you as in Nathan French, it's your fault. You didn't get on that yeah, one stock. Yeah. You didn't get them their, yeah. their animal, and they don't have another one in them, and then it only goes downhill from there. And, you know, honestly, I've, I've guided, I don't know, I have, I don't keep count and numbers, but I've guided a handful of archery hunters, actually more than rifle hunters in the last few years. But the thing that I find 90% of the guys that lack is the kill instinct. Like they just don't know, they need that hand to be held like right to the bitter end. There's no like, okay, I'm in the moment. I'm, you know, 30 yards from this You're ram. You're in the red zone. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> like, okay, it's all me, let's go. Like, they're looking back at me to tell me, you know, when should I shoot? Or, you know, like, I'm just like, come on, like, right there. I had, <laughs> oh, man, I've got too many stories. But I had this uh, one archery hunter, and it was late season, it's a big horns. We did this stalk, we got to 40 yards under the ram, uh, gave him a perfect 40-yard shot, and he uh, twacked it right in the neck. <laughs> and I'm like, oh great! And it it only went. It didn't even go that far. Actually, it kind of grouped up with a, some ewes on the side of the mountain. So we only had to walk walk a little bit further to get into another shot. And uh, we just kind of sat in the timber waiting for you know another, another opportunity. And kind of the ewes spread out again. And there's the ram standing there and twack again. He he was a little back this time. He compensated a little too far. Anyways, now the now the Rams, you know, high ten to the next mountain. So you know, we sat there, had lunch. I was like, "Hey, just let's give this Ram an hour, and then we'll go track it in the snow." And so this this is in Alberta, and uh, it's uh, in the Canmore area. I used to do that late season Canmore hunt, 
and uh, there is a lot of hiking traffic, unfortunately, in uh, Canmore, and you're allowed to hunt, of course, but um, you, you just got to be mindful of, you know, what you're doing at what time, and so I start tracking this ram, and we're going along in the timber, we're on this big ridge, and then I just stop, and there's a ram bedded at a tree at 10 yards, just right there, and so I stop, and I look at him, like, right there, and I'm just standing there. Like, what would you do, Aaron? You know, you're going to draw back. Yeah, I, would, I would jump over there with a well, knife instead. <laughs> well, five, ten seconds pass, and the ram's looking away. Nothing's happening. And then the ram, you know, I got a little too excited and loud. I'm like, shoot the ram. And, you know, the ram gets up and keeps running. And I lost my shit. I was like, are you, you know, you've got to take those opportunities. And the guy just he's like you didn't tell me to shoot and i'm like do the math buddy <laughs> it's right there in front of you it's the wounded ram so here we go again we give it some more time and uh, let's start tracking it again and then we hit a hiking trail and i'm like oh lord here we go and so it's going down the mountain i'm like well that's nice so we, we keep following this blood trail and as, as i'm going i'm kind of kicking the snow of the blood i'm like well i've got to get rid of this and uh all of a sudden, I hear a scream below us. I'm like, oh, crap. And it was I could hear voices in the bush and hide. So we jumped down this little ravine, and we're just sitting there. And about 10 minutes pass, and uh, all of a sudden, I hear this voice above me. Hey, how's it going? I'm like, you know, look up. I'm like, oh, hey. It's the hikers that were making commotion below us. I'm like, are you guys hunting? I'm like, uh, yeah, yeah, we are. We're just sitting here, you know, having a lunch break. So, oh, there was like this this ram looking thing, and it, it looked kind of angry. It kind of tried to charge us, and then it ran off to the side. It looked kind of hurt. I was like, oh, weird. Huh, that's interesting. So I let these the hikers go by, and then we kept going down, and then before its tracks, it came off the hiking trail, went down into a little ravine, and then we came over a cliff, and it's literally kind of like your mule deer story where you're like three feet above it. Um, there it is, like right below us. I'm like, shoot, you know. So I'm holding the guy's back. I'm just like, shoot him, shoot him, shoot him. And uh, he takes a shot and misses him. That's, uh, you know, what, however far that was, three feet. And then. Well, that's not good. <laughs> no, no. Like, how, I don't know. I don't know what pin to use at three feet, but I think it's probably pretty simple. <laughs> All of them. But, just um, and then he finally, you know, kills it. But, uh, you know, you know, the field photos are pretty prime because uh, yeah, there he is of his pro- posing of his bow with zero arrows in his quiver. So See, the key to that, gets- the key to that is you got to take <laughs> the quiver off the bow. See, the problem <laughs> yeah. is I have a slide on quiver and you have to take the bow apart to get the quiver off. And so yeah. after my bear hunt, I seriously thought, should I just cut this off or make it quick? Because I had no arrows left. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll just take it like you were running into the field to find more arrows. <laughs> uh, and then I've had people actually say that I made that story up. And I'm thinking, if I was going to make a story up, it wouldn't be a story that makes me look like an idiot, right? I would have had a much better story than I shit my pants was wandering around aimlessly in a fucking field trying to find my arrow. Like, I would have come up with something slightly different. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah let me let me promise everyone, I'm not just a retired guy who doesn't know how to guide archery hunters. <laughs> just, it just, just happened. You guys just need to do a little bit more practicing. <clears throat> but um, actually, I have one memory I think of. Um, one guy who's unbelievable. I just, I still 
can't believe it to this day is um his name was rob register and he's the guy who killed that real fancy big gold sheet with me that made the french uh, cover of the wild sheet magazine yeah yeah yep so uh we spotted those rams from you know a long ways away and we kind of packed in probably took us about a day and a half to get close to them and then the weather moved in and we just kind of sat across probably 2,000 yards from these rounds. Anyways, weather opened up and we dropped down into a massive ravine. That ravine you can see in the, the photo and then up the other side, probably 2,000 feet. And uh, it was pissing down rain and we did the stalk down and the ram was bedded right on the edge of that cliff up top of it. and, you know, in the picture he's down in the creek, but he fell 200 feet. But anyways, we stalked in and I just said, hey, you're on your own. We were about 40 yards probably from the ram and he just wanted to make that extra 10 20 whatever right to make a good shot i let him go on his own and i got it all on video it was unbelievable he used the tree to you know so you know he had some cover and he got into about 20 yards and the ram was bedded and then i think the wind swelled because the ram just kind of looked a little uncomfortable it stood up it stretched out and in that moment i i don't know you could probably count to two and rob drew back took one step to the right and let it let it fly and absolutely drilled the thing i just was like oh my goodness thank you lord like finally <laughs> someone <laughs> someone who knows what to do <laughs> like it was such good kill instinct and he just hammered the thing and so that was a breath of fresh air to finally you know get around without any you know upset <laughs> but what do you yeah, uh what do you got planned for, for this year? What all are you, uh, what, what, what different hunts are you guiding on that you know of so far? <laughs> so, uh, I have a, I begin my season in the territories again at Canoe Outfitters and I have a client of mine I've guided for Bighorn and take him up there and he's an archery hunter. So we're doing an archery doe and then same client after we finish there, I drive out of the territories, the old 222 and, uh, we the most well-refined road in the <laughs> history of, of mankind. Yeah, it's a piece of tutorial. I don't know if I showed you pictures, but I got hit by a semi on that road last year. <laughs> what? <laughs> were you dodging all the broken down cars on the side of the road? <laughs> no, we were, we were driving, you know, pretty safe speeds, probably 30, 40. And uh, out of nowhere, a semi comes whipping around the corner and absolutely just snow plows us. And uh, it was a total write-off. The truck was absolutely demolished. But um, we we walked away from it, thank, you know, thankfully. But, yeah, it's not a fun road. And, you know, just to tell people what it's like, it's, it's only, how far is it? I think it's only like 200 kilometers, and it takes about eight hours to drive. Yeah, yeah I was going to say it's a six- to eight-hour drive from the, when you once you cross the Ross River Ferry or whatever Ferry. the hell that's called, yeah. That's the uh, well, the story. The it's like, what time does this ferry open? From eight yeah. thirty until ten thirty, and two thirty <laughs> till four thirty. I was like, well, what yeah. do you do the rest of the time? Oh, we drink. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. We Clay's but, dog um, locked the fucking truck door when the truck was on the ferry. So the oh yeah oh and, you know Clay he had no hair and he was pulling out what hair he didn't have because the truck is stuck on the ferry this, and this, it's like this. some Josie Wales shit right it's like one vehicle load. <laughs> this, this must be a common theme because no joke about a month ago I get a text message from Clay he's like do you know how to break into a seventy eight Ford or Chevy whatever it was <laughs> <laughs> I'm like oh and then I call him he's like oh my wife locked the keys in my Chevy truck and I'm trying to get into it. And, 
nothing's working and of course we don't have a spare key and I'm just <laughs> killing myself laughing but yeah but anyways what was I talking about Ross River what, why was that coming oh, up oh the road oh. how long that uh... oh, right. yeah anyway so yeah I drive out with my client there half of the dog sheep hunt and then I, we go straight into stone sheep right away same client archery hunt stone and so I'll be doing that I'm extend. Usually it's a ten day hunt. I'm going to extend it, do a bit of pre scouting. It doesn't open till August first, and we'll be done in territories on the 25th. So we'll have about five days in July that we can kind of look around and you know kind of figure out a game plan. And then after him, I have that uh, goat stone hunt that I booked, and then then would be the next one if I book it uh, end of August. And then I'm going back to my old cowboy roots and I am doing uh, moose and caribou hunts on horseback in northern BC for a buddy of mine. So do they, so when you're in England, when you're riding a horse, do you ride side saddle or how's that work? <laughs> Just kidding. Yeah, we'll <laughs> <laughs> like a gentleman? No, <laughs> no it's uh, normal horn saddle. <laughs> <laughs> the, the holy shit handle yeah. the front of the saddle. Aaron loves horses. He, he was telling me about it. Hard no, oh, no, it's a hard no for me too. But I'm gonna do it this year. We'll see how it goes. You know, back in the Yukon, who I used to guide for, his name was Chris Widerick. Um, No joke, he never hired any help. It was just he hired three guides for the year, and he gave us about seven to eight horses. And it would be just so I'd go off with my client for you know two weeks. It'd be me, seven horses, and my client. There'd be no wrangler, no cook. Nothing. Sounds like a so, country song. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, that actually, you know, I appreciate those years. I did have a new con doing that. It kind of made me, you know, you know, you deal with any situation kind of deal because when you're on your own with seven horses and a client that doesn't know what he's doing, you know, things can get real lively real quick. Um, so, yeah, so I'm going back to my roots, going back to the old, uh, Bronx saddle and uh, going to do some moose guide in late September and in October I'll have uh, a big horn hunt and then that should wrap up the season I'm not I I kind of quit the Kenmore I did that for four years and I was just sick of minus 40 and freezing freezing my ass off so I'm taking a chill pill from that for a couple of years was that was that hunt some sort of backcountry hunt or do you guys come back to a, a, a cabin or a base camp when you were doing that one so you're on you're on the mountain. Um, we do have a you know like a twenty by ten wool tent with a stove, but um, that really doesn't do much in those temperatures. But we're on <laughs> we're on the mountain for fifteen days. It's a fifteen day bighorn hunt for it's archery only, and uh, yeah, it's it's pretty brutal. You know that things freeze. That I didn't realize would freeze like toilet paper. It goes like a rock. Like how <laughs> how how toilet paper freezes? I don't know, but. Yeah, it's 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 pretty hard conditions up there, and uh, you know, it's it's not it's not the f- most physical hunt, but I think it's one that it, it's most mentally right. Like, who who wants to be in that weather and the wind up there is absolutely retarded. Yeah, I would I would uh, concur because the the moose hunt we had last year was not physically demanding at all, and was one of the harder hunts because of the rain, snow sleet mix and just you know just crappy i would have much preferred to hike in 15 miles with 60 pounds on my back by far than go through that shitty weather i hate i hate snow and rain well not snow i can handle snow better than that 30 
four to forty snow rain mix. It's horrible. <laughs> yeah. What I what I can't stand is you know you're doing those backpack hunts and it gets cold at night and you <laughs> you wake up and your boots are just absolutely stiffer than a doornail and it's like oh man this this will wake me up real quick put those boots on it's like wearing ski boots for the first hour but, yeah <laughs> the mountains are not forgiving I'll tell you that now for for sure have we um. Speaking of that, we probably got to get you uh, set up with one of the new uh, frames and bags. Did we already send you one? You can see how much I pay attention. Frank's shaking his head. Yeah, he did. I think I haven't got it yet. It's somewhere stuck in Montana. Oh, son of a bitch! <laughs> no, I said it's it's sent. It's on. It's it's just got to get to Nathan now. It's in Mont. It's at your. We sent it to his buddy's house in Monta- Montana. Yeah. Because yeah, uh, it's- transferring it across the border can be pretty expensive. So. Yeah, I was supposed to go down and do a photography trip with a buddy of mine. That's why I sent it there, but that didn't happen. So I'm just going to have to go down there anyway. Yeah, and you were talking about possibly coming out here this summer, weren't you? Yeah, I think maybe try and figure something out. Yeah. Come hang out. See what these 10,000 uh, foot mountains are about. Well, those are the low ones, so you're in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> I would say the, the trailhead's usually at 10 or more. Yeah, we're we got a trip this this weekend, and I think it starts a little over ten thousand. We'll probably camp around twelve, I would guess. I don't know. Some of the peaks there you are twelve, just, four, what twelve. What was that five. one you guys just did that you went over some path? Twelve. Uh, that was just a fishing trip. That pass was yeah. only ten six. Yeah, the pass 11, wasn't very 1. high, but the the lake was at like eleven five. Right. Yeah, and then we went up to twelve something when we went over that. But the the reality is like, um, I mean, to to me or whatever, like you have issues wherever you go. Like uh, North Idaho is weather and you know deadfall or whatever. You know, you know, you got something everywhere here. We don't really have underbrush. The rain isn't too bad. Storms come in high that are bad, but the altitude is just it's a life sucker. I mean, it it's amazing how much the your VO2 max or blood oxygen level or whatever the hell kills you, you know, walking at 12.5, like you go 50 yards and you think you just went 500, you know, you just have to stop and yeah. take breaks till you're acclimated. And it, it some people really can't ever get, um, you know, some guys just to get altitude sickness badly. And when I say that, not meaning like Frank can get like actual altitude sickness, but I mean some guys cannot be above ten, eleven thousand feet and get rid of their they can't shake the headache. Just doesn't go sure. away. Sure. You know, I don't know if it's an excuse, but am I right in saying there isn't much of a difference in altitude until you get into that ten thousand range, am I correct? There isn't much a difference between like ten plus. I mean, I mean, like a guy hiking at two thousand versus six thousand. There's not much of a difference. No, no, no. Until until you, until you get into that ten thousand plus range, right? Yeah, I would say. Yeah, I would probably if some if you would ask me that before you said ten, I probably would have said eighty five to ninety five hundred plus. Okay. But yeah, whatever. It it's not that bad anywhere for me up to that six seven thousand feet, and then I really start to notice it. You know, even from Denver to our house, there's a little bit of a difference, which is. 55 or 58 to, to 8,000. Um, yeah. But I tell you what, you go from 8 to 13, mother of God. <laughs> yeah, that's it's, pretty, yeah. 
<laughs> it's just a nut kicker, like out the gate. Like this weekend, we'll be sucking hind titty. In fact, we were trying to figure out, you know, more and more crap we could drop out of the pack. And then, you know, Frank's bringing a, an 82 Leica. I got a 95 Swaro plus the camera gear. You know, I mean, it just sucks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I don't know. If, that's what I was going to say. I don't know if it's an ex- excuse hunters use because they're out of shape, but like I'm, I live at a thousand feet, right? I'm not that high. And so these guys who are coming from, you know, Texas or Florida or, you know, Alabama, anywhere that's, you know, pretty low, you know, they're also, oh, this altitude's kicking my butt. And we're only at like five, 6,000 feet. And I, I, I've honestly never noticed the difference personally. I've, I think the highest I've killed a sheep at is in the eights. I can't remember. It was somewhere eight something. And, you know, I just, for me personally, it's probably just because I'm young, but I just haven't really noticed a huge difference in that in that bracket range of, you know, like the Northwest Territories, for example, you've been there, you know, they're like 3,000 valleys to 7,000 peaks, right? Right, yeah, and I didn't, you know, I mean, it actually, I, when I came back from the territories, I was, it there yeah it was a rough one for the first bit because i went straight into hunting here and uh going from and you're hardly ever at seven there you know it's it's very not very often uh to when we went in uh and we you know we parked the truck at uh in the one area we went hunting at 12 9 um so yeah i was sucking hind titty there for a little bit what are you uh, saying sucking what hind titty High and titty. <laughs> <laughs> You've never heard that? Hind. Uh, hind uh, titty. You Google it. <laughs> oh, that's funny. You've never heard that before? Sucking hind titty. No, I haven't. It's, but I like the sound of it. Uh, so is that like is that one that like grows on the back or what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, that's exactly. That's pretty. Um, oh, that's funny. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to... Um, uh, I'm going to pull it up on the Google Meister here. I've heard it since I was a little kid. Um, hence, a pup nursing from the rear, most breast is likely to receive less milk than the other nursing pups. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there you have it. <laughs> uh, that's pretty good. So, in the milk line, you're at the back of the bus. <laughs> you're getting the leftover milk. <laughs> what the hell was I even talking about? Sucking hind titty. Well, Suck before sucking that, titty at twelve nine. Yeah, I was I was <laughs> shitting in short cotton is what I was doing, not tall cotton. Um, the well, yeah. It we'll see how that goes this week, and we train a lot more. But when I first got off the juice and I went to twelve thousand feet, I thought I was gonna die. Like you know, with all that, I was yeah. weighing you know a, a meaty two sixty five, and obviously that six foot six one, and literally was. Yeah. <laughs> And like that gurgly <laughs> shit you get in your lungs, you know, like anything I'd ever eaten or drank wrong in my life it seemed to be purging itself. It was bad. Oh, oh my I want to know if you can do uh, blood doping for high altitude like Lance Armstrong. I don't know, but I, if you just saying that, I'm I'm sure that there'll be some kind of a test. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Did you kill that deer with the assistance of uh, supplements? Anabolic steroids? Yeah. Yeah, for me, I just keep hammering. So you know, whatever. Nate, well, Nate, I, you can. Nate's juiced his whole life. He's a massive individual. What do you? A solid one sixty five at six four. What do you weigh? <laughs> You're a skinny little guy. <laughs> That's the funny thing. I got this skinny little waist and this kind of broad shoulders. I'm uh, I'm about two with my boots on and wet. I'm about two. 
20 right now. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, you were closer. Then, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> 60 pounds off. And then, uh, usually I'll cut right down in the season just because of the, uh, extensive backpacking and crappy diet. I probably drop right down to 195, 200, but, um, you know, yeah. That's that's one thing. I don't know if it happens to you, but I I really get into that metabolic state way too easy. Um, I gotta figure my diet out a bit more out there. That freeze dried crap is is not the funnest thing to eat all the time. But what did Frank I, say? I, it's I like can... wiping a marker when you go to the bathroom after eating freeze dried food. You wipe and you wipe and you wipe and it's still there. Does it, does, it, does it give you guys weird dreams? Like, do you ever get weird dreams on that stuff? If I slept, no, no, I don't get weird dreams. Oh, oh, really. man, I don't know. If, I don't know if it's the mountain air or the freeze dried food, but probably, the, in the, mountains, probably the mushrooms and the acid. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lord, no, but, yeah. I don't. I don't. I don't even think I dream when I'm up there. I can't think that I did. Dream of oh. large elk. Frank's dreaming, dreaming of large breasts. I'm, I'm dreaming of sucking hind titties. That's funny. Yeah. Oh, you you guys had me pissing laughing. I was just listening to your guys' podcast of Fred, man, some of the stuff. That guy is, uh, holy, is he ever toughy? Oh, yeah. I want to take that guy hunting. I don't think he's like he, chiseled he, out he, of stone, man. No. Yeah, um, he, he took yeah, pity yeah. on us coming out from the lake, but he he did, like, I don't know, three-quarters of the way up. I'm like, go ahead, Fred. I'm done leading. I feel like I'm holding you up, you know, and off he went. Did it do? I'm like, Jesus. <laughs> Unreal. I think yeah. the most the most demoralizing thing is when I'm pissing sweat, and I look at Fred, and he's not even sweating or breathing hard. I'm like, fuck, I'm fat. <laughs> <laughs> Jim Tan Laundry. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Yeah, that's... uh. Uh, um, the old shit tube there on the side of a mountainside. That's uh, that's new to me. Listen to that. I figured Boy, everybody would want to hear about that. When he told me the story, I was like, I guess it makes sense, but I never really thought about it. It was unbelievable. I was like, yeah, I, I guess you don't think about that side of things, but <laughs> that that <laughs> I guess literally not- you're dropping the kids off not at the pool, <laughs> but you're dropping the kids off the cliff. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. I wouldn't want to get Jody up there, I tell you. <laughs> need a big pipe. <laughs> you have to poo into a funnel. Have you had before? I haven't. Aaron got it last I've year. I've got right? it several times, actually. Oh, oh it almost killed me, that stuff. Stuff bad. It, my, it, uh, it yearly, is bad. Yearly weight loss program. I've bent over to puke in the toilet. And the wall was relatively close and shit all over the wall the one time. Um, were you? Why were you naked? The uh, well, when you're that, it's bad. You're just bad. laying there in Lay, the bathroom. I remember laying in the tub. You know what I mean? Like, and uh, you know, as far as like, I mean, and I wasn't naked there. I mean, you vision. I'm sitting down going potty. Yeah. And then I turn around to puke with my drawer still down <laughs> and let her rip tater chip. It looked like some kind of Jackson Pollock shit on the wall, right? Some kind of crazy painting. Like that um, like that bird from a scary movie when he's shit on the wall. <laughs> what the fuck did you put in this bird scene? <laughs> when you when know, did you way I, just, I was going to say, the way, the, way, <laughs> the way I describe it to guys, just so they get a, a kind of a, a sense of how bad it is, I got it years ago. I got it last year too, but I got it years ago where it almost killed me. <laughs> I was so sick that I, you know, 
kind of discharged in my sleeping bag and woke up laying in it and decided I felt so crappy that I just rolled over and went back to sleep because <laughs> you're, you're, in, you're in such a state of mind that you just want to roll over and die that you just do not care. So that, I don't know, that kind of describes how bad that stuff is. But. I'm not sure if that, that might be worse than me pooping on the wall. That's pretty bad. <laughs> but this, this time when I got it, it was out of camp water with Bart, right? Like we got it from the, the actual water coming out of the faucet in the, you know, in the, the base camp. But, uh, it, for me this time, I didn't get the shits too bad. It was, I couldn't keep food down. I kept yakking it up. But even oh, still, yeah. you'd eat anything, and immediately my body, I would get hot. I would start to sweat. It'd come back yeah. up. And then, you know, five, six, seven days of that, you got no energy left. I mean, you're just oh, already yeah. it, feeling horrible. I, I think I lost about 20 pounds in four days when I had it. It was, uh, yeah, it, it just absolutely ransacks your body. Well, and you can shit through a window screen, too. It's not like it's coming out nice and tidy. I mean, literally... <laughs> It's water. It's bad. <laughs> There's shit everywhere. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's Ooh. funny. Oh Lord. Uh, well, we probably we're oh we're where are we at here? Yeah, we're over an hour. We should probably cut this thing short. I got visitors coming in anyway, and that'll be one. It, it's a miracle that I actually even remembered that they were coming. But uh, we'll definitely have to get you on again. Definitely after the season, and let us know how everything goes. And uh, Sure. Tell tell everybody where they can uh, kind of find you because you got a lot of photography as well on social media and everything, and then uh, you know also talk about that that goat hunt as well. So, I mean, I know how good it is. So, yeah. So uh, I'm uh, at Nathan French Seven on Instagram. I I don't really do the Facebook deal. I have it, but don't really do much on it. And then my website is uh, Nathan or www.nathan-french.com, and uh, there you can kind of see more photography stuff or uh, kind of read about sort of the hunting opportunities I can provide. And then, yeah, this uh, goat hunt, it's uh, August 25th to September 5th. Um, and if you're seriously interested, uh, it's probably easiest if you just message me. Um, all my details are on Instagram. You can phone me or email me. And, uh, yeah, it's it's going to be one heck of an adventure. Um, whoever d- does buy it isn't going to regret it, I'll tell you that. So, And cool. then uh, next Next year, we'll have you boys come up and do it because it'll be one heck of a hunt. Yes, and we'll laugh frequently and often. And, I mean, the good thing is Frank and I shoot at each other uh, on downtime. So we run around, and it's kind of like BB gun wars except with bows. I'm at a slight disadvantage because uh, I've got a recurve. But the good thing with the recurve is um, when he shoots, he loses arrows. If I don't get hit, I go find mine, and I can keep shooting. <laughs> And then we'll we'll drink we'll drink tea and eat crumpets and, and crepes, yeah. mate. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this coffee tastes like shit, Austin. <laughs> <laughs> oh Lord, well, man, thanks for coming on and uh, good luck this season, uh, for yeah, sure. And keep it. us posted. Yeah, thanks, Nathan. Thanks for having me, boys. All right, man. We'll talk to you later. All right, take care.